Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Lord, I, um, you know, I, I thank you that um, you offer us tools. Um, you offer us truth to guide us in parenting. Um, that you humble us, that you mature us in parenting. Um, And so, Lord, I pray that this would be just a sweet space. I thank you for these parents who want to walk it out in a way that honors you. Um, And so, Lord, I pray that it would be sweet space, that it would just be an encouragement to them as they consider what you're up to in their own kids' lives. And I just pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would just guide my words. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so I feel like I know most of you here because of Moms and More. And I'm like, are you really want to come out and hear me again? But anyway, <laughs> I have switched it up a little bit. So anyway, um, but um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be here. I feel like, um, honestly, probably because of my own type A personality the first few years of parenting for me I just felt like I was digging in to a lot of books and um, really just wanted to get grounded myself and then of course through my time in Moms and More really personally just felt like well that's what I want to bring is I want to be a place to encourage and equip these women I just know how hungry I was and so um I continue to see young families and work with young families um, in our counseling ministry and really love that. Um, Just being a young parent or being a a parent of littles is just a really um, challenging yet sweet spot for me. So so we're going to do a couple of things. First, I want to give you kind of an overview that I hope will be helpful, kind of a big picture view when you think about parenting, and I don't, whoever's back there who's got the slides, I don't know his name. If you could put up the first slide, we're going to, okay, we're going to look at what I'm going to call the two journeys that I think God has for all of our children, okay? And you'll probably see this in your own life as we talk about it. But even before we do that, let me just read you a passage that just stood out to me as I think about um, parenting and really what is it that we're after. And so this is from Matthew 9, um, verses 10 through 12, and it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you think about this idea that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Um, and when I first read that, I'm, I was kind of like, what's the difference, right? Um, and even as he says, now go learn this from me. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let me break down what he's talking about there. What he's really talking about when he says even learn, that he doesn't want us to just transfer um, rules to our kids. Um, that he wants it to be go from the doctrines of Christ to actually knowing Christ. So it's really moving from our mind to our heart. And so when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, what he's talking about is that I want you to love me on purpose. I want it to be voluntary versus forced, which was always where the Pharisees were coming from. They were so trained in the rules, right, um, and how to make things work um, versus really having that deeper relationship, which really reflects what we know is the greatest commandment. Um, to love God with everything, love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And then it says, all the law and the prophets rest on this. It is, it is the thing. Um, love God and love others. And so really, that's what we're after in our kids. Um, and, you know, I, I typically say, you know, you've got 18 years, right? But honestly, I think even as you're launching them, even for all of us, you know, this is still the journey. Is this about Jesus or is it out, about just being good? I mean, it's something I have to reflect on, right? We probably all reflect on. We think about our own lives. So I want us to think about the big picture in terms of two journeys. This first journey is really where we're moving our kids from being parent-governed to being more self-governed. And this is really about character formation, um, and so this is what you think about probably day to day when you're thinking about even training. First, first, we're training them in responsibility. What responsibility does is help them become more self-aware. Responsibility is about, about being accountable for our actions. So we're teaching them self-awareness through how responsible they are. This next piece is really wisdom. And you think about your kids getting, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, you're beginning to bring more principles behind your training, more information on why do you do this. And so you're hoping that you're instilling this sense of wisdom. They practice that through responsibility. Um, and then over time, what you're hoping to breed is really self-control. Self-control is somewhat the mark of maturity. It's really saying no to ourselves and yes to what is right. That's really voluntary love. Will I say yes to what is right, even if it means saying no to myself? And so this is really this place of we're building character over time. When they're little, it's often just through behavior. You're correcting wrong behavior. You're modeling it in front of them. And over time, what you're hoping is that it transfers to really who they decide they want to be as they're leaving, their, as they're leaving your home. And so now can you put up the second journey? Now, you really can't do journey one without journey two, and this is really the journey of spiritual formation, where your kids are really moving from a self-centered existence to a Christ-centered existence. Um, that we all know that, you know, God's word says we're sinful at birth, um, 
that on our own, our human nature is really to pursue what's comfortable, what's pleasurable, and to avoid pain at all costs. That's how our flesh tends to move. And so over time, as you're teaching them about the Lord and God's ways and practicing this in your family, you're hoping to move them from being self-centered to more Christ-centered. This doesn't really happen until there's really a shift in their heart where they say, hey, I, I surrender to the Lord. I want to follow him. And ultimately, when that happens is when you'll also see such a huge boost in self-governing, their ability to really make choices um, based on what is right and what's wise. And so during this, you know, the, you're really teaching your kids what it means to humble themselves. Even you think about... Um, taking responsibility for things that they do in your home, asking for forgiveness for that, um, to begin to sacrifice for you all as parents, for siblings, um, to deny themselves things at school, caring for other people. And ultimately, this idea of, of living really sacrificially that God says that's really um, also what maturity looks like, that he came to serve and to not be served. So really, servanthood is really what you're after. If you think about these two journeys, even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, this is so countercultural. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I can think about how difficult it was for me when my kids were young, even to find ways that I felt like we could even serve as a family at times. So this is a very intentional process. And you'll find initially, kids are really at A and C, right? And then over time, what you're going to see happen is they begin to move from C to D. As they begin to really establish a relationship with the Lord, then you'll see more of B to D. And honestly, even as adults, we can totally see this process and see how we're maturing over time ourselves, right, in some of these spots. Really, Christ was the only guy who's ever been completely self-governed. You think about being self-governed, it's really being able to make choices apart from the pressure of your internal self, of your feelings, and the culture. You think about being parent-governed, in some ways what you're teaching your kids is, okay, we've developed a culture in our family, right? There's expectations that we have in our family, and over time, we hope that transfers, and then you decide what kind of man or what kind of woman do you want to be. Um, and that you can stay strong in that spot even when you feel pressure from your own feelings and from the culture. You know, even as the Pharisees were always after Christ, it's like really nobody could ever figure him out. He made very self-governing choices that honestly at times seemed very odd. You know, you even think about how he was in the crowds and he would be healing people and it would say he would have compassion. He'd be moving through the crowds. And then it was like he just was exhausted. He realized, I'm done. Um, I got to go. He'd just get in a boat and get out of there, right? Or he'd send the disciples one way and he'd go up to a hill to pray and spend time with the Lord. Um, often, I think because I've looked at these journeys, I thought more about how often Christ made choices that often folks couldn't understand, but he was connected to the Father, and he knew, okay, I've got to have space with the Lord. I'm done. He wasn't motivated by the people around him and the pressure that he felt. 
Okay, so we're going to move from that to this little parenting map that I've kind of created, which is this little guy right here. Can y'all see this? This red zone, green zone, red zone. <laughs> we're going to talk about five tools over the next couple of weeks, okay? Five parenting tools, and we're going to use this little bit of a chart to help us think through that, okay? Um, so these tools are connection, expectation, training, correction, and authority. And when I say authority, it's really how much authority you hand over to your children. As they get older, you want to hand more and more authority over to them for their lives. And so we're going to look at these tools, probably things that you may not clearly think about when you're spending time with your kids, but they're probably all there. They're probably all functioning. But just take a little bit more of a clear look at these different spots um, to help you consider, how do I use these different tools? You know, you're often evaluating these all along the way. And this is really what this grid is about. This green zone is really the optimum place you want to be. And some of, that's, some of that is it's very dependent on your own child, right, developmentally where they're at. But this red zone up here is when you're doing um, too much of this. For instance, we're going to talk about the first one. We're going to talk about connection. What would it look like to be too connected? What would it, would it look like to have too little connection? Um, what could we expect to happen there? You know, we tend, you all probably already noticed this, that, you know, you're kind of on it for a while. You're just, you know, you're really doing all the stuff you feel like you want to be doing. And then over time, you kind of start getting a little bit chill, you know, and you start realizing, oh, dang it, we're either up here or down here. We got we to gotta reevaluate. Um, so let's first take a minute and think about um, this concept of connection that really your relationship is the best tool that you have as parents. And if this spot isn't working well, you'll probably find that you lose your influence with your kids, that you really want this piece to be in place. And, you know, when they're little, you know, often what you're doing is really using almost behavior modification stuff, right, teaching them how to do things right. They're watching you. You're modeling that. But as, you, as they get older, as they move into their teen years, you're hoping it moves from maybe controlled by consequences to some extent to really, now it's just our relationship. You want it to move towards, you know what, I love my mom and dad, and that's why I want to do it this way. Eventually, you're hoping it moves towards, you know, I love the Lord, and that's why I'm going to do it this way. So when you think about connection, it really is your family. That was God's design. It's the primary channel where connection is built. It's the primary place that your kids learn how to do relationships. Um, they learn their own identity. Um, they learn, what do I need to do to get my needs met? Um, that really your family is where connection is practiced and modeled. And so think about, think about this just for a minute in, in your mind, just some questions when you think about just the family environment, do you feel like there's a sense of um, my kids can ask for what they want? doesn't mean they're always going to get it. But, you know, there's, there's freedom 
for us to have needs in our family? Do they see you be respectful to your spouse in front of the kids? Do they see that? Um, do they see you apologize when you mess up? When there's conflict and hard things, how do you all model that in your home? That this is really what builds kind of this inner safety and help them think about what does connection look like just by really watching this in, in your home. So when we think about connection, I want to start by giving you a little bit of an understanding of your kid's emotional life, okay? So we're talking about zero to 10 here because kids tend to have experiences related to how they're feeling, okay? Their emotions are very tied to the experience. It's almost like mood equals experience, which even as I say that, I'm like, hopefully that looks a little bit different is that for us as adults, but <laughs> we can probably identify somewhat with that, right? Um, so it's really their emotional state that determines how they see their world. And they're very sensitive and very easily influenced. I mean, you think about, you know, even for littles, I mean, if, if something is off physically, I mean, if sleeping or eating is off, you know it's going to affect their mood, right? Um, or if there's changes in your environment. Um, maybe you've been super slammed. They've been overstimulated. I mean, Christmas was always one of those times where I'm like, we're all going to fall apart at the end of the day. I just know it because we're all overstimulated, right? Um, um, maybe it looks like shifts in school. Maybe it looks like mom or dad is out of town, right? All of those things, their environment very much affects how they feel about themselves emotionally. Um, so as adults, you know, verbal expressions of love probably mean much more to us than they do really to children, that children in general are much more behaviorally oriented. So they really understand direct actions more than they do words. They want this demonstrated. So that's what we do. We want to, we want to demonstrate displays of love. Um, I want us to think about connection in terms of three different ways that we display love. One of the things that I think is probably more of a trend, at least more of what I see, is the sense of if I'm not spending time with my children all, when, they're, when they're awake, if I'm not spending time with them, then I'm not connecting with them like I need to. Almost a sense of um, any separateness feels like it's not okay to some extent. That's what probably what a cultural trend I would probably say I see more more than, more than too little connection. Um, so I hope as we think about some basic ways to think around connection, it creates, I don't know, I hope, it's, I hope it's, it becomes this sweet spot. It feels easy and not tough because none of this stuff is going to be rocket science. It's probably stuff you're already doing. Um, but when you think about Taking care of their emotional needs, I want us to think about it in terms of an emotional tank, almost like a fuel tank. So we want to keep that tank full. And there's two things that their emotional tank um, helps with. First, it influences their emotional state. We've already talked about that. So how anxious they are, how frustrated, um, how sad, how happy. Um, but it also affects their behavior, that it greatly influences their response. 
And so there's three ways we want to think about keeping this tank full. Um, three behaviors. And the first one is eye contact. Um, looking your kids in the eyes. That How often are little kids always like, Mom, look at this, right? They're always wanting to catch your eye. It's when I first, when I first um, read this material, I thought how often I was multitasking. I could totally see this image of doing dishes and like they're talking and I'm not looking at them at all for, you know, and just trying to get it done, right? And now, is, is, does that mean that it's wrong to do that? No, but you want to be aware of, do I give them eye contact? Is there a sense of that you matter? Doesn't mean all day long, but in a regular sense, when your kids are talking to you, just like we would want someone to look at us, do I look at them? Because that says you matter. So the next one is physical touch. So, you know, this isn't just hugging, kissing, touching their shoulder. I've got teenage girls, and they always want to come lay down on the couch. They want me to play with their hair, you know. Um, so, you know, just different ways where you feel like there's a sense of we have casual, frequent physical touch in our home, that it matters. Um, I think this can be especially value um, for dads with their daughters, teenage girls. I think it can be difficult over time for dads to feel like, how do I, how do I give my girls touch? What does that look like? Or they move from, I kind of do this wrestling fun dad thing, to now they're teenage girls and I just kind of want to poke at them, <laughs> which can be very frustrating if you're a teenage girl. Um, but, but I've noticed that tendency. And so what does it look like to still be able to hug my daughter or to just pat her on the shoulder? Or do I want, you want to make sure that it's just a regular rhythm in their home, in your home. Um, and then the last one is focused attention. So giving your child periods where you're fully attentive to them that they are the object, where it says, you are special, and you have mommy and daddy all to yourself. Um, I remember when I, mine, mine were little, um, I, was, I was in a co-op, so I was homeschooling for the first few, few years, and the hardest part of that was my youngest, honestly, because, you know, we, I was busy homeschooling the other two, and I remember a mom giving me this wisdom, which was so fabulous, and she said, take about 10 or 15 minutes and play with your youngest first before you start your school day. So basically, fill up her emotional tank first. It was all the difference in the world in terms of really being able to get stuff done. You know, because then we, all, we would always play Candyland. I, I could not do the imaginative play. Some of y'all have heard me talk about that. <laughs> I was not doing baby dolls, but I would play Candyland. I would do puzzles. Anyway, we would read books. So we would always play Candyland, and, and it was fabulous, right? She loved it. I loved it. Anyway, and um, she would be good to go for a good hour, hour and a half. I was able to really um, spend time with my other two and get stuff done. Um, and so... You know, really when they're little, she was probably two or three at the time, when they're little, this might look like two or three times a day for five or ten minute periods. When they're little, they don't need a, they don't need ton. You know, five or ten minutes, it's about all the tension span they have. 
you know, as they get more school age, this may look like we're in the car and we're driving 20 minutes and it's just me and my daughter and we're spending time that way. Or I'm helping her after school with homework. It might look more like a period of 20 minutes once or twice a day. And then with teenagers, um, it often looks like definitely in the car or even just late nights. It almost seems like when they get tired, they want to talk, you know. And, and honestly, teenagers often take more time. It might be an hour. It may not be every day. But they need more focused individual time. Um, but what I love about this concept is I think it gives you freedom to figure out what does separateness and togetherness look like in my home. It doesn't have to be all of the time. Um, and the other thing is if you've got grandparents, you've got, they've got siblings, other folks also feed um, their emotional tank, right? So even as they're getting focused attention from siblings, that also is filling them up. So let's talk about this grid for a second. I mentioned this idea of it being kind of um, a mix of separateness and togetherness, okay? So what does it look like in the green zone to have a good balance of that? Well, um, you know, what I tend to find is you're often, even in the green zone, living with this kind of, living with attention. Some of that is our own emotions as a mama, of feeling like, am I doing enough? Have I spent enough time with them? How often do you think that through the day, right? And so I hope some of these ideas of, okay, have we had some focused attention? Have we had some physical touch? Have we had some eye contact? That that would feel like, okay, I get what the green zone kind of looks like there. And if I have spent time feeling that, then it's okay for, for me to do dinner, whatever it is, the things that I need to do, and for them to come alongside me. You want to spend more time with me? Then come alongside me. Um. But when you think about this red zone, what would it look like to have really too little separateness and maybe too much togetherness? It might look like that we're always keeping our kids comfortable and happy, that it feels like if they're not happy, then I've done something wrong. Um, or maybe it looks like always being busy. Um, that boredom must mean that I'm not doing a good job, that I need to spend more time with them. Um, always picking up them up when they're, white, when they're whining, hyper-focused on praising them, having snacks, toys, and the phone on hand to keep them entertained. The theme is really that they are center, and everybody else somewhat gets the leftovers. My son was in preschool, our, this is our oldest, who's now 20, and I remember I was leaving the classroom, and he had, you know, they always leave with some kind of drawing, right? I'm sure it was like scribble scrabble. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't anything overly fabulous, but, you know, you're walking out, and I'm doing what every other mama did. Oh, this is so great. Look how good this is, you know, or something like that. Who knows, right? And I remember he looked over at me, and he was like, Mom, it's really not that good. I mean, like, he was like, like, get over it. It's really not that fabulous. And it was just kind of a sense of, I think I had this idea 
that if I'm not super excited about all these things that he does, then I'm not building connection. I'm not doing it right. Um, I've talked to a lot of mamas. I, I honestly see a lot of mamas that are feeling a lot of anger and frustration because they are living in this place of just high pressure around this spot. Um, so now let's think about the red zone when it looks like um, too little connection, okay? So this might mean that our kids only get eye contact or physical touch or praise when they're performing well, that I'm not doing that in just day-to-day -day interactions, that I might withdraw connection as a punishment, that we put tasks over relationships. So we choose work, hobbies, socializing. Maybe it looks like we're trying to maintain the same lifestyle we had before we had kids, after we've had kids. So we're dropping them off at grandma and grandpa's a lot. Um, or um, maybe we stay passive and we just avoid through social media, letting one parent overfunction. Busyness in this way can be constantly on the go, but almost an avoidance of um, periods of downtime. So everyone kind of lives with this empty emotional tank. Ultimately, what we're hoping to do in this place of connection is kind of build this just real easy place of, hey, we are for each other. You know, if you need anything, I'm going to be there. But we're also going to take individual time to refuel and just modeling that. Okay, so we're going to move to our second tool, which is expectations. But before we do that, any thoughts or questions around that area of connection? In some ways, this area of nurturance might come pretty easy. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So you feel like five or ten minutes doesn't tend to be enough. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I probably have to ask you a lot of questions about this, but one of the things is thinking about have has the way that they have reacted when I when I when I only give them five or ten minutes has that fueled me feeling like okay now we've built this thing where they get this sense of yeah mommy's available all day long for us or has there been a sense of honestly if you train them to this it will probably take you a little while you may have to back it down no 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 mommy's had good time you you set them up beforehand mommy's going to have five or ten minutes what do you want to do and then I've got to go do this. And you're probably going to have to practice that and be back, no, 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 we had our time. You know, you might even set a timer. I love those timers that they have now. They're so fabulous about getting in and out of bed, you know, where the green and the red light or whatever. But, you know, so you might have to even train back to that if you feel like we've kind of gotten into a pattern where there's this assumption that mommy is available all day long. That would be, that would be my first wonder, Sarah. And I'll tell you, you will have ones. You think about personality types, right? 
Every kid is a little bit different. My third absolutely needed more of me than my other two. Um, and so, you know, part of it is even considering that. And, it, and, and if so, when can I do that and when can I not? I still want that one to be okay with the fact that sometimes I can't. Anything else when you think about this area of connection? Okay, all right. Well, let's talk for a minute about expectations. Um, so I've got a passage here from 1 Thessalonians 2. And um, it, it's really um, Paul talking about their behavior when they um, visited the Thessalonians. And he says, um, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so if you think about it, that's what we're doing really with expectations, right? We're urging them, we're encouraging them, which really means that we're provoking them to live courageously. We're asking them to take risks. What you really want with expectations is you want them about six months ahead of where they're at. You're kind of moving them in that direction. Um, and you're waiting and you're watching for mastery. When they've got mastery, then you can know you can push a little bit more. Okay, we expect a little bit more. They're maturing. You're teaching them to take on more responsibility. So we're going to think about this because really responsibility is the key piece when we think about expectations. And so we're going to look at um, responsibility in a couple of areas. One area is responsibility in, in how they work. And the other area is responsibility in relationships. These are the two areas that we're always responsible for. So responsibility is really that they're learning to accept personal accountability for their actions. This is very highly behind character development. Um, probably one of the most common things that I'm working on with women in my office is this idea of authenticity. Um, who am I? Um, what does it look like to be authentically who I am? Authenticity is really made up of these two things, these two journeys. It's growing in godly character, and it's specific to your unique design. So it's the spiritual formation piece that you're using your gifts for the kingdom. That's how it's unique to your design. That you're growing in developing perseverance. You're growing in developing faithfulness. You're growing in developing honesty, self-control, all of these things, and at the same time, you're using to use your unique giftings in the kingdom to bring glory to God. Um, so as you think about this area of responsibility, let's, let's look for a minute, talk a little bit about um, both work and relationships. So work, you think about... The, the first year of life, you're really working on sleeping and eating. That's their work. <laughs> Can we get in a good rhythm of eating and sleeping, 
right? Are they falling into a good, some good structure around that um, that you are creating over time? That it's not until about 18 months that typically, it depends on the kid, I guess, where you start really kind of seeing their will come out, and probably more around two that you're doing more training and discipline. But maybe even at two, you're having some small expectations like, can you come when I call you? Do they come to you? Um, Can you hold my hand when we cross the street, right? That that's an expectation. Um, That they're learning to be patient when you're having conversations with others, which you may work on all of 18 years. (laughs) Um, But, you know, where you're really teaching them to not interrupt, right? Mommy and Daddy are talking or even... Mommy and daddy are taking time to themselves. That is a very settling spot for your kids, for your kids to see you all connecting, interacting together. You'll find they want to interrupt those spots more than any other places. Um, But it actually creates a real inner safety for them to see you together. One of the trends that I'm seeing with a lot of working parents is they get home, They've got brief time with the kids, but it's kind of like, you tackle this, I'll tackle this, we'll get the kids down, and then we'll have time for us, versus are the kids seeing you all take time together as a couple while they're still up? That really, you're their world, and so when they see that safety and connection between you, it really um, creates a lot of rest for them. So it may look like mommy and daddy are interacting, and, and, we, and the expectation is that you don't interrupt. Um, that kids around the age of seven should be able to do a lot more chores individually. But even when you think about this second journey that we're often teaching our kids how to be servants, so when they're younger, it might look, Mom and, Mommy's doing the laundry. You come down and you come with me up in my room and you separate the socks. That you're Mommy's little helper. Um, so in some ways, that life, the expectation is, Life doesn't necessarily revolve around you, that we kind of work together as a family, so we've got to consider who needs what. For our son, who probably around, I don't know, he's probably 9, 10, or 11, we'd really been given the wisdom to encourage him to, it might have been more like 11 to 12, to really kind of start mowing, to do some things. You know, this is developmentally, this is the place where kids are kind of Um, trying to figure out, do I have what it takes? It's this idea of industry versus inferiority. And so they want to feel like they can accomplish things. I think chores are fabulous for that. You're a part of the family. We're all going to chip in together. Sometimes Saturdays we would do that. Be like, okay, boom, hour and a half, let's tackle it. Um, You know, and and folks would do different things and feel like, wow, look what we accomplished. We got it done. Um, or maybe it would look like my husband really coming alongside my son and teaching him how to mow and do some of those things. Um, I think especially for young guys. So those might be a little bit of what the work part looks like. Now let's talk a little bit about this relationship. So what does it look like to begin to sacrifice and love each other? So this might look like using words over whining. We kind of talked about this. Because how do, how do others want to be treated? With words. I want to hear words versus complaint. Um, you know, siblings being gentle with each other, especially if you've got boys that are super physical. I remember bringing um, our second and third home, 
And the oldest ones always wanted to poke the eyes, right? I mean, that was like the thing. <laughs> You're always like away from the eyes, you know, like gentle with the eye. It was like all day long, right? But, and really, I think that's kind of a common pattern with siblings. You're teaching them how do you be gentle with each other, right? Don't be too rough. This is how it feels when you get too rough, you know, helping them even identify what happens when you get too rough. Um, of course, sharing, the ongoing battle of sharing, right? Um, you know, when mine were younger, sometimes it might be, hey, we're having so-and-so over. You plan for relationships. You begin to really train before you expect it of them. We're having somebody over. What toys do you want to share? If there's one toy that you want to put up, that's your special toy, great. But in general, we're going to learn to share. So even having very short conversations, that's the other thing. I mean, really, when you think about four or five-year-olds and younger, we're talking about six, seven words or less. Sometimes I think we give these long, lengthy understandings that kids cannot comprehend, right? That you really begin to give them principles when they're more four or five. When they're real young, you really want them to just be able to hear yes or no. Can you just, can you just, can you comply with a yes or no? Then that might be the expectation. If mommy says no, mommy means no. You don't always have to have more understanding when they're real little. Um... But as they get older, you're having more conversations about what does it look like to be in relationship with each other? Um, how do we treat people in our own home in terms of relationships? So then when we go to somebody else's house, that's not foreign. We've learned to do that, that we don't run and scream when we're, aunt, aunt, we're at Aunt Sissy's house or whatever, right? Because we don't run and scream in our own house because we want to honor other people. That was always a principle we talked a lot about in our home is how do you honor somebody? How do you put them first? So you're kind of always assessing in general, you think about these, these areas, where is their mastery? Where do we need to adjust accordingly? It'll be different for different kids. Um, I remember we were going to somebody's house and I don't know how old my kids were. I mean, they were probably 8, 9, 10-ish, somewhere in there. And I was reminding them, okay, we're going to so-and-so's house, so, you know, this is how we're going to act. You know, make sure you thank her, blah, blah, blah. And at, at some point, they were like, Mom, we know that. Do not tell us that anymore. We know. It's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> thank you. Okay, they've mastered that. I can leave that alone, right? Um, um, and so there would be often different places where you realize, you know what, they've got this. We're going to talk about this more next week when we talk about authority, but really slowly but surely you want to be handing everything over to them. Okay, so let's think about when we have too high of expectations, what does this look like in the red zone? When we think about too high of expectations, really what this does is it creates discouragement, frustration, even anxiety. Um, this might look like, do I expect things out of them that I've not trained them to do? Or that the beha or their behavior is governed by these rules and standards that are often not said out loud, right? But they're very aware of it when they're broken. Or do we adultify our kids? So there's this level of expectation beyond their capacity. Maybe we expect good behavior even when they've not had a nap, right? 
or there's this black and white thinking that, hey, you're with your friends, mommy says go, we leave that minute, we don't give a five-minute warning, we don't give a sense of letting them kind of work it out, especially when they're young. Or maybe it looks like all work and no play, so there's lots of tasks, but little relationship. Or exposing kids to adult information. Um, Problems in your marriage, um, family drama, processing things with your kids that they're really too young to handle. So that might be too high of expectation. On this other side, the red zone, this is where we would expect too little. I think this really creates boredom and actually struggles with impulse control, which is really the opposite of self-control. That if I want it, I have to have it. I have no ability to say no to myself. And you might see kids kind of regress a little bit to an earlier stage of development where they become more irresponsible. Um, That they're not developing any frustration tolerance. You think about setting these expectations about six months ahead. Part of that is you're developing resilience, grit. Um, I'm always looking for one, two, three steps biblically on how to, how to handle the next thing, um, probably the counselor in me. But one of my most favorite passages here is Romans 5, 3, where it talks about suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. It's a hope that we have in Christ. So in some ways, letting them feel a little bit uncomfortable, it's okay to be a little frustrated. You want them moving out and learning how to handle hard things, developing a little bit of grit. You know, when we cater to um, low expectations, it actually creates more finicky. Um, Kids become much higher maintenance. Um, That you find I allow a snack every once in a while and all day long they're wanting to snack. How often do we see this, right? Um, That you can develop entitlement over time. That they feel like they deserve some kind of special treatment versus having the expectation of, no, 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 no. Mommy and daddy are in charge. My youngest one was always super wiggly and we just for the longest time, struggled with her being able to sit at the dinner table. She was probably three, four, five, still struggling to really sit still at the dinner, or just, you know, up and down, up and down, where you're like, okay, you're just, you know, you're hardly able to hang because you're dealing with her getting up and down. And I remember we were at somebody's house, and she was sitting in a booster, and she did fabulous the entire meal. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe she's really able and capable of doing this, but we've had too little of an expectation on her, um, which is kind of a good kind of window into, okay, she can do this. It's possible. Um, so as you think about this area of expectations, let's just take a minute. What comes up? Any thoughts or questions here? Is it something you think about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, yes. I mean, I, I feel like in that area, you know, like I, I can give you some general 
you know, but some of it is just you and Cody having conversation and noticing. You know, how often, really, when, when you think about parenting well, where you're reflectively parent, parenting and not reactively parenting, it's a ton of conversations. My husband and I talk about parenting more than anything else, for sure, every day. And so sometimes it's like just checking in. What are you noticing? What are you noticing? Because some places where I'm weak, my husband's going to be stronger in, you know, because sometimes for me it's fear, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think having each other really consider and bounce it off of what do you notice in kids around you that age, you probably have a b- better barometer, honestly, than I would. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Um, I'll tell you, one thing that I would encourage in this spot, because that can be tough. Um, there's a fabulous marriage principle. You can use it for any relationship, honestly, any close relationship, but it's, it's great for marriage. And that is that you always have permission to ask for what you want. <clears throat> but you do not have permission to demand it or punish your spouse when they don't do it your way. So I think you keep having conversations and you keep talking about it. Part of it is communication skills. What kind of language do I use when I'm talking to my spouse about this, especially if it's an area that's been frustrating over and over again? Like it's easy for me to use stronger, frustrating words, right? And so I have had to learn to really watch how am, I set, how am I talking to him about this because ultimately it's really between you and the Lord. How we choose to handle this, ultimately your responsibility is honor the Lord, period. So this, this is, I mean, I'm really speaking from just my own spot of feeling like I don't have permission to demand my way and if he doesn't do it my way, I can trust the Lord with that because he loves our kid more, more than I do. But ultimately, I'm going to honor my spouse in the way we deal with it. I'm going to bring it to him, and I may bring it to him often. You all need to be having these conversations, but I'm going to try to do it in a way that's loving and honoring and trust the Lord with that. What I think happens here often is it can start feeling, especially for women, like control. And I don't, I don't know that that's true in your situation. It absolutely was true for me. And what I often see when we get in these places, what happens is when we dig in too, we tend to polarize more. So when I dig in on this angle, he digs in on this angle even more so. There's this polarization that happens over time. This happens a ton with parenting. If you do feel like you're super stuck in it, you know, I think marriage counseling to kind of help think about how do we communicate around these tough spots can be really helpful. But a lot of times it's how do I have loving communication in the process? And it's okay if I don't win. And if we do it his way, I can trust the Lord with that. Yeah.
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we wouldn't expect. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I would say with the first one, you're probably doing a fabulous job at parenting them a little bit different, and that's okay. And even with your oldest... You know, if he's like, okay, you expected this of me, and you're not expecting that of him. I don't know if that's an issue or not. But, you know, you can always call the oldest to more maturity because, that, because you're different. And mommy and daddy are going to treat you differently. And you're older. You know, it's okay for them to understand that, yeah, we are going to parent according to what you each need. Um, and, um, you know, I, I had two that were kind of closer in age, but often... My oldest, I would have somewhat different expectations than the next one, and that's what we would say. And sometimes I would even call them up to like, well, you're six and you're big. And so mommy and daddy can talk to you differently because you understand, because you're big. You know, you can almost call them to more maturity, you know. And I would even give him, especially if you feel like he's super hard on himself, you know, even thinking about How can we create something that feels like um, not that you want him to feel more pressure around it, but allowing him more freedom in ways that just makes him feel like a big boy? Um, I, I, I think that can be a real gift to kids who have a lot, put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, but with your youngest, I think you probably need to do what you're doing. And it's okay for the oldest to also say, that's part of the way he sacrifices. Mommy has to take more time with so-and-so. There's just differences, and this, it's going to look a little different. And so you're going to have to wait. I'm sure that takes a lot more time. You're probably heavy in the training with your three-year-old compared to your six-year-old. You know, the other piece you've got to watch sometimes with the oldest who can be hard on themselves, they can tend to be hard on others too. 
you know, and just kind of watching that with tattling and things like that, you know, that that's kind of that entitlement that sometimes there, you know, there's always a other side of the coin, you know, that I can be hard on myself, but I'm also hard on others. I will tell you what I find when you start seeing patterns in your kids that you know, wow, this is a place where they really get stuck. I would really encourage you to be praying over that because it will probably be, it may not be, but could be a place of just kind of a stronghold. My oldest also was always hard on himself, and he still, he still is. Um, he, at the same time, he struggled to kind of power over people, almost be a bully. You know, there was an entitlement there, right? And so I would really encourage you in some of these places, there are behavioral things, there are ways you're going to teach them a biblical principles, but I'm telling you, the power of prayer over your kids, um, I just would really encourage you to just be praying over that as a couple for, for them, the different ways that they get stuck. I think I spent so much energy when my kids were younger at trying to figure out how to do it right. Um, I wish I would have rested in the Lord and spent more time in prayer, honestly. Um, now, you'd meant, I, I don't know if that covers both of your questions. It may not. Maybe it just covered the first one. I forgot what the second... Yeah, yeah. You know, when, in terms of you get a lot of yeses, but we're also going to get no's. You know, I think as much as you can serve as a family, that's always helpful for that, for, for kids to even see and understand how your life is really different. It can be hard when they're little. We had an assisted living that we could walk to down the street, and we would go there a lot. Um, and I felt like that was a way for my kids to see differences and to understand um, what their life looked like. But I think the other thing is it's okay to have a firm no. Um, and I think that's that, I mean, really, when you think about this word self-regulation, which is such a big word right now, at least in the psychological community, that's what it is. Can I, can I learn to say self-control? Can you hear no? We're going to say no and we're going to mean no. And you, you may not, like you said, I may just say no because I've said yes a lot, and that's the only reason. I may say no because I'm tired. That's a great reason to say no. <laughs> um, and so I think you just keep pressing in to some of those things that you're probably already doing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So what do you do with that? <laughs> oh, I, I'm asking you, Julie. I'm like, I didn't have two girls. Oh, I totally get it, though. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, but really, I mean, how, how are you handling that now? Is that what you say? Hey, no, your little brother's okay. Yes, they've rescued him. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think probably what you're already doing is good. I think you try to stay on top of it. I'll tell you, there is something about, and I'm not, I'm not hearing this in you, but in general, 
There is something about mamas, women, and little boys because they are other. They are not like us. And so it is easy to be more nurturing to let the boy, I don't know, have more as a mama, where you'll notice dads can often be real tough on boys. And so I often encourage women to really look to their husbands somewhat for that because they get boys. They are a boy. Um, And, you know, you really just want to work at a team in terms of your different strengths. But, you know, in some ways, as, as, as your husband, and even, you know, really God particularly says husband's their primary trainer. He particularly puts that on hubbies um, to train their kids. And so what is it that we need to do? How do we want to handle this? Um, and, you know, husbands having an active voice even with your little girls. Yeah, that's funny. I've got the opposite. I've got two younger girls, but it's, I did find somewhat the same thing would happen in our home. Yeah. 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 Honestly, I think as parents, you have to go there sooner than we ever want to or had to in years past. Um, And so, you know, I, I think there are real reasons why your daughter will have to know at 11, this is why you can't do this. Um, and you all have to decide how you talk about that. Um, but I think having ongoing conversations, um, because I, I mean, even for my girls, when they were young teenagers going to the mall, I walked around the mall as a young teenager, no big deal. I didn't feel great about it anymore. Um, maybe that's the work I do, but I hear too many freaky things, and I'm like, I don't want my young girls walking around the mall by themselves, you know. Um, So I do think it is a time where we're having to have those conversations around what's safe, what to do, why would this possibly not be safe, how do you want to think about it, and you can decide that. Um, But I kind of have a sense of, at least I've always thought, you know, we're going to talk about hard things. Um... And so even for me, even with my son, I mean, I was talking to him about pornography at 12 and 13 years old because I just see it ruin families constantly, and that's when boys start at 11 or 12. So we have just always had open conversations around dangers and understanding and how to be safe.
All right. Well, you know what? We've had some questions. I definitely want to give you all time to hang out in your groups. Um, so anyway, so yeah. So Matt, you want to come up? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.